I want to share my heart this morning about uh, something that I think is so, uh, so important, something that's changed my life. Um, it has to do with what I'm learning uh, the new covenant's really all about. It's when Jesus came, he came not just to give us uh, rules to keep or a way to live or principles to live by, but he came to actually give us himself. And this is the thing that is so awesome. Um, what I want to share with God's help is how God wants us to live in such a way where Jesus himself is living through us. The Christian life is really not a, it's not just a covenant, it's not just a law, but it's really another life living through us. To live by another is the rest that Jesus called us to enter enter into. Um, That verse in Galatians is so powerful where Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives through me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's so cool about this is that It's real simple. It's so simple that Jesus said a child, we have to become like a child to actually receive it. The scripture says that Christ is actually our wisdom. I love that in the Corinthian letter it says that, um, that Christ, Jesus himself, has been made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He has been made these things to us. God does not give us righteousness as a concept. He gives us his son. And in his son, we are righteous. I love that. Paul said, the, spirit, the, the father who called me from my mother's womb in the fullness of time, in the first chapter of Galatians, he says, he revealed his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. We really don't preach grace or righteousness or faith. Uh, we preach Christ. Because in him, all those things come alive. Um, Paul says, be strong, my son, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Um, It's just, um, I think sometimes we, uh, I know in my own Christian life, I I started out, um, you know, just trying to do my best working for God, trying trying to be the best Christian I could be and and I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd wake up in the mornings with this, this sense of guilt, like I was never doing enough for God and never quite measuring up. And, and uh, it was just one of those things where uh, I had a mixture in my mind of law and grace, of this revelation of Christ, my life, as opposed to my life, me trying to live the Christian life. And a sure, sure way to get burned out and disappointed and disillusioned is is when we try to imitate Jesus. The Christian life is not about trying to imitate him. He's not, he's not just a good example. Um, I know we hear, hear these things like, what would Jesus do? Um, 
What was it? WWJD? What would Jesus do? It sounds good. It sounds, you know, that's cool. Spirit, what, what would Jesus do? Or that book, uh, In His Steps. You know, let's, let's look at the situation. What would Jesus do in this situation? But that's not the Christian life. It's not a matter of what would Jesus do and then me trying to figure it out and doing it. No, it's Jesus. Jesus himself living through me by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a whole new way of seeing things. And that's why it's a rest. Um, anyway, I, I started out, I, I liken um, the Christian life to like a, uh, I think of, of boats and I think of the way I started out, it was, it was like me in a rowboat. And I was just rowing and rowing and doing my best for God and wearing out because I thought I could do this in my own strength. And what Chip shared last Sunday was awesome about we, weakness is a good thing if we turn that weakness into trust and dependency on the God who lives within you. Christ in you. We read these verses and they, they don't come alive like they should. We hear verses like Christ in me, the hope of glory, or greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And it's really true. I mean, this is awesome. I mean, he's in, God is inside of us. I, I, uh, let's, where was I? Oh yeah, the, the boat. So I'm like, it's the roars, you know, it's like my strength. I can do this. I can pull this off. And eventually you will wear out and you will not be able to, to make it in your own strength. And then so maybe I learned a little bit from that. And then the next boat I got into was a, was a motorboat. I, I look at it as analogous to a motorboat where I think I've got it figured out. It's, it's a mind thing. You know, I can figure this thing out. I can get formulas from the Word of God, from the Scriptures. I can, I can you know, plug in the formulas and, or figure out how... Maybe it's a technique or something I can do. I can do this. So the motorboat's like gasoline and, you know, with the engine. And, but eventually you run out of gas. It's not going to take you there. And then the third boat is, is the sailboat. And I like the sailboat because it, it talks about my total dependency on Christ. Lifting the sail does not move the boat one inch. But that is analogous to faith, to trust, to looking up, to looking to an invisible reality, the wind. I can't see the wind. But I lift that sail in faith and I trust that the wind will blow. And that's really closer to what the Christian life is all about. It's lifting a sail of faith and trusting in the invisible presence of God within And it is a revelation. It is a revelation. It's, 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 some, it's not just information that you can say, okay, that's cool. I'll, it is a revelation. It's like, it's like we have to be hungry, it seems. Um, if we're still happy with the rowing, we feel like we're doing okay, then we may not be able to hear this. Or if we feel like we've got it figured out and the motor's running just fine for now, we may not be able to hear this. But someday, sometime, you're going to hit the wall. And you're going to say, is this what... What Jesus came to die for? Is that what it is all about? I mean, is that, is that, this is the power? But there's a fourth boat that I want to talk about also. 
And it's found in the Gospel of John. If you don't mind, let's turn to the Gospel of John. Chapter 6, verse 15. Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 15. This making sense so far? That was my wife, I think. <laughs> um, Gospel of John, chapter 6. There's another boat. Verse 15. Chapter John, I mean, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark. And Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. This is the best boat. <laughs> because this boat, I liken this to a revelation of our union with Him. Because when this revelation dawns on us that we are truly bone of His bone, flesh of His flesh, that we are truly a branch on a vine joined to him. When he is truly our head and we are his body, one. When this revelation really deepens inside of us, we are already there. Seated with him in heavenly places on the other side. We live now on earth as one who lives on the other side because we're in Him. That's what He wants for us. It's not about getting from point A to point B. It's about being with Him. And now He is with us where we are in the earth. He said, I pray, I go to prepare a place for you that you may be where I am. Contrary to religious thinking, that is not mansions being built in the sky. We sing songs about he's building me a mansion in the sky. We sing songs about how he's, or we talk about how he's, he built the earth in six days. My God, my mansion must be big. He's been building on it for 2,000 years. <laughs> That's religious foolishness. No, he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. He said, in three days, I'll prepare this place. After a little while, in three days. 
He said of the temple, he said, destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. They did not understand, the scripture says, that he spoke of his body. He said, in my father's house, the temple, the true temple, the one that would be raised in three days, in my father's house are many dwelling places. That's the original Greek, not mansions, that was put in there by King James in the 16th century because he wanted to appeal to the poor and make them have hope for eternal life in heaven. So he made the scholars use the word mansion. The Greek word is dwelling place. Interpret, translated every other place in the scripture as dwelling place. In my father's house are many dwelling places. You and I have become the dwelling place of God in the spirit, Paul tells us. You are the living stones. God is in us. God is in us. God is in us. And what's so cool about Jesus? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Because I want to be with you. That's awesome. He wants to be with us. God just wants to be with us. He wants to hang out with us. He wants to walk with us and, and go fishing with us and, and cook cakes with us. I mean, I don't cook cakes, but Cindy does I'd like to try them. But. No, but it's awesome because, you know, the prophet, the prophet said the day would come when it would no longer be the, the holy utensils in the temple, that it would no longer be just the utensils in the temple, it would be the holy items, but that, that the person in their kitchen, their spoons and their bowls in their kitchen would be holy unto the Lord. The day would come when God would do such an awesome work that holiness would not just be at a, in a building, on a place in Jerusalem. That the presence of God would not just be there. Oh, woman, woman. The hour is coming and now is. That the true worshipers will not worship the Father in Jerusalem or in Samaria. But in another realm. Another realm. In the real. Spirit and truth means in the realm of God. Truth there means the reality. The real. The picture, the photograph was the temple. It was just a picture. Just shadows of the good thing to come. The real is Jesus himself. The temple raised in three days. In him. This, saints, this is the coming awakening and revelation to the body of Christ of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Dwelling Places. This is going to be a great awareness in the body of Christ that this celebration of the dwelling places is a celebration of the Son's crowning work and that He is inside of you. Behold the riches of the riches of the glory of the mystery of Christ, Christ in you. See, it's a revelation. It's the, it's the final revelation as we begin to see as he is, so are we on the earth. If John didn't say that, you'd think I was nuts. I'm so glad John said stuff like this and Paul said stuff like this. I tell you what, I am ruined. I'm ruined for anything less then Jesus himself, by the power of the Holy Spirit, living his own life through me. I could never go back to religion. I could never go back to this, this uh, hazy sense of guilt and not measuring up. No. 
how can I when Christ himself is my righteousness? When his death so brought me through death and judgment, the scripture says when Jesus went to the cross, he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out, the one who accuses you in our day and night. Judgment has come on the cross. It was the judgment of the world. Christ The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He was before Adam. God, in a a mystery that we cannot fathom, actually brought him into time and space. The Son was offered before the beginning of time so that all that came after Adam has been wiped out. We are so dead, we don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. I I am growing. I am growing in this awareness that I truly did die. And yet, I'm alive. And yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's it. There is no higher, no higher revelation than to see that he so loved me that he not only gave himself for me, but he gave himself to me. Christ in me. What a rest. Hebrews says, he who has entered into this rest has ceased from his own works, even as God did cease from his. This is the true Sabbath. The Sabbath is not a day. It's a person. It's a person. And sometimes I think we get, you know, we hear terms like systematic theology and, and we term, sometimes we think about God in terms of systematic theology and, and the way that man organizes spiritual truth. But I'm telling you, saints, There's a reason why the scriptures are not written like a systematic theologian's book. There's a reason. They're not written that way. You don't see chapter one, let's discuss God. Chapter two, let's discuss angels. Chapter three, let's discuss faith. Chapter four, let's discuss discuss salvation. Chapter five, sanctification. Chapter six, glorification. You don't see it like that. The reason why, see, I believe a better word than systematic theology Systematic is just the way Western man thinks, I believe, in terms we have to put everything in an outline. And what the problem with that is because is Jesus sometimes becomes just a point on the outline. The better way to see truth in, in Scripture, I believe, is not systematic theology, but concentric theology. That's how God wrote the Scriptures by the Holy Spirit. Concentric. The word concentric just means circles within circles within circles with a common center. That's the mind of God. God thinks in concentric circles with the sinner being his son. Christ is all and in all. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in him. Grace only only is powerful when it's Christ at the center of the revelation of grace. Otherwise, grace becomes just a concept. See, concepts are revealed to us by the Spirit of God in Him. The Scripture says, be strong, my son, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Those concepts are good because they help us get glimpses of Him. But the moment we lose sight of Him, the very concept that's revealed to us will hide Him again. 
You can have a revelation of grace, and if it doesn't lead you to Him, that revelation of grace becomes a concept, and He'll be hidden again. Because all the Father, everything's moving us to see His Son, and to be with His Son, and to fellowship with His Son. That is the heart of the Spirit. He shall come, Jesus said, and show you the things that belong to me, and now belong to you, because you're in me. It's living. It's him. It's him. And so now faith becomes alive because it's faith in him. And life is not just a concept. It's life in him. See, it's, the spirit blows life to all those things. And we begin to realize, oh, my God, this is, this is simple, yet it's profound. It is so simple a child can receive him. We can be on the other side, complete in him. Now, in fact, we are. And it's an awakening. It's a revelation. Like, I love the story of Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob were born as twins. That's why Jacob could fool uh, Isaac, because they, they were twins. They looked just alike. Except Esau was more hairy, so he had to put some hair on his arms. But they were twins. They were born at the same time. Jacob and Esau. Esau born first, Jacob second. I believe what this speaks of is Esau is a picture of the flesh or the natural. First the natural, then the spiritual. Jacob, a picture of the spiritual, the new man, the new creation. They separated in their birth. And so the separation of Jacob and Esau is a picture of God bringing forth a spiritual circumcision, cutting away the body of the flesh, Colossians says, and joining us to himself in the new creation, the new man, Jacob. Then you read the life of Jacob and you see how God deals with you and I, the new creation, the new man. And what he does, the very first thing he does for Jacob, Jacob is, is running from Esau. He's afraid of the flesh. We're afraid of the flesh sometimes, and we're running and afraid. And God is not afraid at all. He knows exactly what he's going to do. And so he's with Jacob, and Jacob, God comes to Jacob, and he goes to sleep. Have you noticed a lot of things happen when the saints are asleep? <laughs> Abraham was asleep. God cut covenant with him. He woke up, and he was supposed to cut covenant with God. Abraham was. He falls asleep. And wakes up and sees God covenant, cutting covenant with himself. And Abraham's not even part of it. It's just so cool. All right, so here's, here's Jacob. Jacob is asleep. And then what happens is Jacob gets this revelation, this, this picture of a ladder that's stretching from heaven to earth. And he sees angels ascending and descending on it. And Jacob says, God is in this place. And I didn't know it. It's the revelation that the new creation must have. God is in this place. This is none other than the gate of heaven, Jacob said. This is none other than the house of God. It's an awakening in the body of Christ that God is in us. That we are the house of God. It's a revelation that heaven is here inside. The kingdom has come in the spirit. Access to God. And you see it throughout scripture. You know, Jesus said things like this. He said, you search the scriptures, speaking to the Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures and you think in these scriptures you have eternal life, but they speak of me, and you won't come to me that you might have life. 
The scriptures are only living if it's a revelation of him. I love that last chapter in Luke where the scripture says that Jesus opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. He opened their understanding and they saw Christ on every page. That's why it's life to us. We're not reading the scripture for principles for successful living. We're reading the scriptures to see him. Because only he can live successfully through us. What does this look like? I mean, what, is, what would this look like as we are learning how to live by his life within? Well, first, let me say this. I really believe the key, saints, is that it took me years to, really to understand this, and I'm, just, I'm still understanding the whole thing about righteousness. It's awesome. But until we rest, I believe, in the righteousness of another, then the life of another, which is Christ himself, is unable to flow through us. Because we're always in this sense of guilt or shame or trying to earn a righteousness, which is a gift. As the scripture says, he who has received this abundant grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. So what has really helped me is to really rest in the righteousness of another. And what that looks like is when I screw up and I sin and I find myself walking after the flesh and not after the spirit, I remember the truth. I remember that I'm not under law, but under grace. I remember that sin is not, not being imputed to me because I'm in Christ. I remember the truth that I'm righteous in him. And I come boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. I don't run away from God anymore. I run to him. And I can run to him with that boldness and I can say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're not counting this sin against me because of Christ. Thank you that I don't have to get, get uh, back right with you and cleansed again and again. Thank you, Lord, that the cleansing took place on the cross. Because cleansing can only take place through death. And I died when Christ died. So I run back to him and to his arms and I go, teach me how to live by you. I screwed up. I, I was in my own efforts. I was trying to pull this off and I can't do it. Thank you, Lord, for your love, for your grace, for your acceptance of me. And the beloved son, teach me how to live by you. So that's, to me, that's just amazing. Because in here, there's always blue skies. Always blue skies. Jesus said, in the world, we shall have tribulation. But we can be of good cheer. For he has overcome the world. He says, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Moses was walking, you know, one day and he saw this, this bush that was burning. But the bush was not consumed. All through scripture, God is teaching us about this awesome reality of union. And the reason the bush was not consumed is because it was a picture of what God was going to do through Christ. All we have to do is be a bush. It wasn't even a nice stately oak tree. It was just a bush. Just an old bush. And it was burning with the flame of God. And the reason it wasn't consumed was because 
The fire was not using the bush as its source. And neither does the presence of God in you need you as its source. He only wants to use you to be his hands, his feet, his vessel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God and not of us. Isn't that awesome? We can be a bush. We can rest. We can rest. Jesus said one time, he said uh, to the Pharisees who were, who were shouting out, yoke yourself up to the law, yoke yourself up to the law and learn Torah and learn Torah. And Jesus shouted right back at him and he says, yoke yourself up to me. Come unto me, all you are heavy laden and burdened. Could, wouldn't you love to hear him say that? <laughs> I try to imagine, you know, how he would sound. And I, I think he was just strong in his voice. He was, all these people were just burning out. They're weary. They're afraid of God. They feel like they can never be like holy as that Pharisee over there. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this prostitute will enter my kingdom before you because she will see her need of me before you, Pharisee, will see your need of me. I love that. He, 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 he cried out. He goes, all you are heavy laden and burdened, come unto me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. What was he saying there? He was saying he was yoked up to something, to someone. Jesus modeled for us how we are to live. Do you realize that Jesus didn't do any of the miracles that he did? Jesus said, it is the Father in me that does the works. He could, but he laid aside his divinity as a man filled with God, son of God, son of man. He said, the works I do are not my works, but the works of my father who dwells within me. The words I speak, he said, are not my words, but the words of my father who dwells within me. He said, as I live by my father, the day's going to come when you shall live by me. He is the mediator between God and men, the only mediator. And through his death and resurrection, he said, Jesus said, he who believes on me, the Holy Spirit will be given to them. And my father and I will make our abode within them. The father and the son, the fellowship of the father and son is within you now in the spirit. And now we live by Christ as he lived by the father. He lives through us. It was his heart. This is his heart. He said this toward the end of his life. On earth, he said, the the day is coming when you will weep and the world will be happy. But after a little while, after three days, you're going to rejoice and no man will take this joy from you. In that day, he said, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father And the Father's in me, and I am in you, and you are in me. That's the Son's passion. That's the Son's heart. John 17, we we read John 17, we call it the high priestly prayer of Jesus, and he says, Father, that they may be one as we are one. And I've heard preachers preach that like, see, Jesus wants all the denominations to get together, all the denominations to get together and be one because he's praying there that we be one. And I'm going like, no. 
Jesus is not anticipating division in the church before his work is even accomplished. He's not praying for the denominations to get together and be one. He, des- he, describes his, he defines his own terms in that prayer. He says, Father, that they may be one as I am in you and you are in me, that they may be one, I in them and they in me. Awesome. That's what he meant. And then, like, like, like tuning up, tuning a, uh, an orchestra, everybody tunes to the same note, there will be a oneness in the body. There will be a unity that will flow, but from him as the head flowing down to the body. The oneness that we must see is the oneness that each one of us has. That's why it's so cool. It's so personal. When you lay it in on your bed at night and you turn the light out and you're laying there in your bed, ask yourself, how often do I think, Jesus, Jesus is really inside of me. Isn't this cool? When we gather here, when the saints, when we gather here to worship corporately together, I pray that from this day forward, that there'll be such an awareness that he's inside of us. No, no man after the flesh anymore, but after the spirit. We see him in each other. We see him in us. It's powerful. It's powerful. The love will flow. The love will flow. It's awesome. It's like we encourage each other now to see. We don't focus on doing. We focus on seeing. We focus on seeing, not on doing. The doing will follow. The doing will follow. But the whole issue is to see. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of our heart might be open, that we might see what he did and who we are in him, who he is in us. It's the yearning of the Spirit to show us Him, to show us Him, that we might rest. The yoke that Jesus had was, He was yoked. The word yoke just means to be joined to another, like two oxen are yoked. He was joined to the Father. He was one with the Father. That's why they wanted to stone Him, because He claimed to be one with God, because He was. The Father in Him and He in the Father. And then he says, so take my yoke upon you. What he's saying is, learn what I'm doing here. I'm meek and lowly of heart. So that's the posture of someone who is living by another's life. The posture we take when we live by another within, we're meek and lowly. We're not um, pushing our own way and trying to make things happen in our own way. It's like we're meek and lowly because we're letting another live through us. And that's why it's a rest. And we can, we can rest and, and let him be who he is. And then when he does what he does, what only he can do, no flesh can glory in his presence. We're just aware of our incredible need of him. Our incredible need of him. You know, the, 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 the deception in the garden was not, um, it was not that Adam and Eve were trying to be uh, like, like uh, God. That wasn't the deception. God made them in his own image. He wants them to be like him. David said, I will rejoice, Lord, when I awake in thy likeness. God wants us to be like him. We're to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. He wants us to be like him. No, the, the issue was not that they wanted to be like God. The issue was the enemy tempted them 
tempted Eve to be like God without God. That was the temptation. They ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of right and wrong. And they took that in because the enemy said, you don't need him. If you knew what he knew, if you had the knowledge, you could be just like him. And that's the deception that's in all of us. We're born from the parents of Adam and Eve in our flesh. It is the mystery of iniquity that we can do it. We can pull it off. And that's why when the law comes, if you really are seeking God's heart, you'll come to the end of yourself. Like Paul did with thou shalt not covet. He couldn't pull it off. That makes sense? And so now we live in a whole new reality. We're not trying to pull it off anymore because we don't have to. We are on the other side. Jesus is in the boat. And we're on the other side. We don't have to try to pull off anything. We are complete in him. We are righteous and holy and blameless in him. Jesus said this one time, it was so cool. He said, he said um, have you not ever read that the priests break the Sabbath every, every Sabbath? And yet they are blameless because they're working on the Sabbath in the temple. He says, have you not read that? They break the Sabbath every Sabbath. But they're blameless because they're working inside the temple. And then Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, one greater than the temple is here. If you're inside of me, you're blameless. Though you break every law, you're blameless because it is not a matter of your performance. It is a matter of his performance. And contrary to religious thinking, that does not lead to a sinful lifestyle. It leads to the power of the spirit and the life of the Christ living through you. Religion is scared to death to set people free for a lot of reasons. Because many times they want to keep, keep you under control and they want to be whatever. But there are no gatekeepers to Christ. There's only one head, one Lord. Jesus, Jesus said this. He said, call no man your father. Call no man your leader. Call no man your teacher. There is one father, one leader, one teacher, even Christ. John said this, we need no man teach us, but the anointing which abides within us shall lead us into all truth. I tell you, saints, God has given teachers to the body of Christ, not so that you would be dependent on me or Clark or Beth or anybody else that would teach or Alan or anybody that's teaching out there or um, Rick and Millie or anybody else or Martha. He's not giving teachers so that you can be dependent on a teacher. The teachers teach that we might be disciples of him. The gift of teaching to the body of Christ is to open our eyes to him, that we all might be teachers. Does that make sense? I tell you, I know you feel in your spirit this sense of adventure. Isn't it cool? That's what God is like in us. He wants us to not, never let, never let anybody um, never, never attach yourself to a man or a person or a teaching or an institution or an organization. Never let that be the source of your life. It must be the Lord himself. The Lord himself must be your life. Christ himself. Christ is our life, Paul said. Jesus himself is my life. 
From that perspective, from that reality, the body of Christ flourishes and the gifts come forth and people are encouraged in the faith and they all begin to see and grow into the fullness of the stature of the Son of God who lives through them. Sorry about yelling so much. <sighs> but that's the deception that, that's in all of us in the flesh. We think we can pull it off. When they ate that fruit, it got, in, it got in us somehow. It's a great mystery, but it got in our DNA. We think we can do it. But... Only he can do it. Well, what else does this look like? I mean, when we're, as we're learning to live by him within, I never tire of saying that phrase. Living by him within. Within, 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 within. Christ in us. Christ in us. Paul said it hundreds of times in his letters. In Christ, Christ in us. Union. It's the greatest miracle of the new covenant. We're actually in union with God himself through Christ by the Spirit. So what does that look like? I think one thing it, it looks like is there is a childlikeness about us. We're not analyzing everything. We don't have to figure out everything. See, that's why he said you must become as a child. Children trust Children are good receivers. Like I heard one brother say, it's, it's not about activity, it's about receptivity. Receptivity or, or being receptive. Receiving. It's not about activity, it's about receiving. And that's so true. It's about receiving. Children also are really good about, about uh, I noticed my Jake and my Kobe, my, my 10 year old and my 8 year old. Cindy and I notice how they can be in the present moment and enjoy life in the present moment. Have you noticed that about children? They're not worried about paying the bills. They're not worried about work tomorrow. They're not worried about, they just, they're play, we're playing Wii Bowling last night. And they were there playing Wii Bowling. They enjoy the present moment. They take no thought for tomorrow, as Jesus said. They don't worry, like Clark says, I just love the way he says, I'm not going to worry anymore. I'd love that. That's one of the biggest things that, that Jesus taught. The birds don't sow or reap. The flowers don't worry about what they're going to look like and clothing. And that's not just nice platitudes. It's a way of life. It's a way of life that comes forth from a revelation of union. It's the way it begins to look. I think another thing that it looks like is, I think you'll be, you and I will be drawn more and more to quietness. Quietness. I don't turn the radio on in my car all the time. I, I used to always like, had the music going all the time. Praise music, worship music, uh, teaching on the radio. You know, always something going on. Noise. Not, and it's some good noise. But I've noticed what, what's happening in me is that I'm not afraid of the silence. I've got a good conscience now because of Christ. Not because of my performance. 
So there's no conscience that's condemning me in my silence or my quietness. Scripture says from Isaiah that in quietness shall be your strength. There's something about when Jesus would get up early in the morning. See, this changes the whole thing about prayer, everything. This is not like, oh, a duty, you got to get up in the morning and pray. No, no, it's it's changed everything, man. You're living by another life. You want to hear him. You want to touch him. You want to ask him things, you know? And there's, there's a new quietness, I think, that will come over us. We'll listen more and speak less. We'll be quick to hear and slow to speak. We'll be, we'll be uh, I don't know, just real peaceful. There's more peace. There's more peace in it, in his way, the new and living way. Because it's a spiritual reality, it's a spiritual revelation that as we, as we uh, take walks and we see the wind blow the trees... And um, not that we don't pray and speak words and talk to God. I'm not saying that, of course, at all. But there's something deeper that as we are just beholding him in our inner man. See, Paul talked like that. He said, behold him in your inner man. That's foreign language to so much of the church now worldwide. We've lost the art, if you want to say it that way. We've lost the art of beholding the face of God in Christ in our inner man. And it's the engine of the Christian life. We're too busy doing something else to make something happen for God, and God's not even in it. God came by Elijah with the wind and the tornado and the fire and the earthquake, and God was not in it. But he was in the still, small voice. That's a product of union within. He speaks. We hear, we move. I love that story of, uh, and we'll wrap it up here. I, I love that story of Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, Peter, you know, he sees Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And he goes, oh my gosh, this is awesome. We need to make a tabernacle, a, a memorial or something uh, of Mo, for Moses and for Elijah and for Jesus. And, and then the father manifestly comes down in, in his presence as a white cloud. And he says, and then Moses and Elijah disappear, and the father says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And what's cool about that story, saints, is that Moses experienced the failure of the law. Remember, he brought the tablets down, and before he got down the mountain, everybody was sinning, and he threw the tablets down and broke them, and... and uh, so we went back up the mountain, and God, look how humble God is. I mean, can you imagine the king of the universe saying, what, you want me to do another set? <laughs> I mean, the, imagine the president of the United States writes this awesome document, and you get mad one day, and you tear it up. Because Moses was mad. He was mad at the people, not at God. And he broke it. And can't imagine going back to the president of the United States saying, I got mad, and I tore your document up. Can you do another one? But that's how humble God is. It's amazing. The humility of God. So God does another one. But then he told Moses a little secret. The law was never going to be the answer. He says, Moses, let me show you a secret. The law will always fail. Man was not, man was not made to live by law. In fact, the law is the picture of the tree of the knowledge 
of good and evil, which, which is already written in the, in the, inside every natural human being. The scripture says in Romans 2, either the law is in us from that tree that either accusing us or defending us by our performance. That's the whole way. That's the way the world lives. God just mirrored to the Jewish people what was already in them from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so that they would see sin, so that sin might become exceedingly sinful, that transgressions might increase, not decrease, Paul said, so that they would come to the end of themselves and realize we're eating from the wrong tree. That's what the law is all about. And so, so God never, never, he never wanted the law. The law was never supposed to be the answer. The law kills, doesn't give life. And so what happened was, God said to Moses, let me tell you, tell you a little secret, Moses. Let me say something. And this, I love this. He says, Moses, there's a place by me. There's a place. And I'm going to put you in that place. In the cleft of the rock. In this rock of ages. And you will be able to see my glory in that place. And that glory that will simply shine on you will cause your face to shine. That's his way. There's a place by me, Moses. It's, it's coming. You won't see it, Moses. Many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see now, Jesus said, and they didn't see it. But now Moses saw it on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was looking at the rock. Elijah experienced the failure of judgment. Judgment and law went hand in hand. Law and the prophets, judgment. Elijah experienced the failure of fear, of condemnation and judgment. He judged the prophets of Baal. He had a showdown with the prophets of Baal and God showed up strong and he had all the prophets of Baal slain because of their idolatry and yet all of Israel continued in the idolatry. Judgment is not the answer. Fear of judgment. So Elijah ran, scared to death. And God showed him, no, it's not in the it's not in the show of power and judgment, Elijah, but I'll show, you, I'll show you a new thing that's coming. Union is coming, Elijah, from within, a voice from within. And so I believe that scene shows Moses and Elijah. M Moses is looking at the rock that he was, he was placed in, and Elijah is looking at the voice that was placed in him, and he saw the revelation. Probably going too long. Are you encouraged? Yeah. You know, I tell you this: if I die tonight, and this is the last thing you heard me hear me say, this is like, this is, there's nothing more and Him inside of us, living through us. You know, it's just, it's a life message. It's, it's the truth. It's the reality. It's, 
It's the way of peace. I love you guys. Within. Living by another. Within. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Let's pray, saints. Lord, thank you so much for your, for your joy. I pray that we would never lose hope. Because we have received mercy, we faint not. Thank you for using us weak vessels but strong in you I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me already on the other side in you seated with you in heavenly places help us live it out on earth help us walk it out on earth help us forgive one another and show mercy to one another help us to know each other after the spirit not the flesh anymore. Show us that we are your hands and we are your feet. As you are the light of the world, now we have become the light of the world because you're inside of us. pray by the power of your spirit that you will take the word that went forth I pray that we would all just receive and enjoy you in new ways ways maybe we've never even dreamed about that are simple yet profound thank you Lord for all your goodness for you are good and your mercy endures forever. 